the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I want you to know that when you wonder what love looks like, all you have to do is look to Jesus. And when in your life you don't think you can love others the way you need to, you need to look to Jesus. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Some of us would do well just to wake up every morning and say, all right, today, by God's grace, I'm going to be nice. I'm going to recognize that every comment on Facebook is not picking a personal fight with me. And so I don't have to get involved in every political or every social discussion. I'm going to prioritize being nice. I'm going to recognize that when the person in Chick-fil-A in in front of me uh, orders for apparently 577 people for their workplace... I'm going to take deep calming breaths and I'm going to be nice. I'm going to recognize when that person in in front of me on Fowler Avenue thinks it's a drag race and they cut me off. I'm not going to give them the one way to Jesus sign. (laughs) I'm going to be nice. Because love is kind. Love does not envy. Envy is when I want those things someone else have in a way that it becomes a passion in my life. I only have room for one primary passion. There's a story in the Bible that talks about envy. It's actually a family story. It, it speaks of a father who gave a big gift to one son, and, and that son went and he wasted the gift, and the son came back kind of with his tail between his legs, and and the father welcomed him with open arms. That's a picture of God because that's what God always does when we fall short. And then there was a brother, and this other brother was envious. Why does he get the party? Why does he get the favor of dad? Why does he get the big ring? Why does he get the fatted cap? Anybody remember the name of that story? Prodigal son. Yes, yeah, a story about envy, really. There's a lot of angles to that story, but you've got God's love and his graciousness, his favor among the one son, but you've got a picture of, of envy. And boy, that does not... Nobody reads that account from the story that Jesus told and says, bless God, I want to be like that other son. Why? Because that's not love. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love does not boast. Boasting is bragging without foundation. And the truth is, there's no foundation for any bragging in my life. Because I want you to hear me say this, but but please know it's true of you too any good thing in your life comes from God. Because the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above. So if there's something good about you, 
if you do your work well, praise the Lord. Don't go bragging about it. If you've made a lot of money, thank you, Jesus. Tithe, but don't go bragging about it. If God has gifted you in some way, recognize you don't have something to boast about. Love is, is not boastful. I heard this this weekend. We had a wonderful time at our men's conference on Friday evening, and my friend Dr. Hunt, he pointed out that in Scripture, the only positive attribute that Jesus points out about himself is his lowliness, his humility, and his, his meekness. Others say great things about Jesus, how wonderful he was. The writers of the New Testament say wonderful things about Jesus. But the only thing he talks about himself is is humility. And so it's no surprise here Then the next thing that Paul says is that love is not arrogant. It's not prideful. I love this little poem. It says, he that is down need not fear no fall. He that is low, no pride. He that is humble ever shall have God to be his guide. C.S. Lewis said that um, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. It's recognizing that the whole world really does not revolve around you. And so uh, watch that arrogance. Watch that pride. Love is not rude. This is close to what we've already said, right? So not only love is kind, which means love is not rude. I love the truth that we say often in our church. As a Christ follower, you never have the liberty to be unkind. You you just can't think that way. It's it's never okay to be a jerk. Now, guess what? Some of us are going to do that. I I sometimes find myself saying or acting in such a way that I, I think to myself, well, you were just a jerk. If I don't think that myself, sometimes someone points it out. And I I have to get right and thank God for confession and the ability to be made right with Jesus. But but don't ever excuse rudeness as being okay. Don't don't ever think these kinds of attributes are permissible in your faith. Love is not selfish. Some translations say it does not seek its own. This is one of the easiest to understand because God demonstrates the most unselfish act in what we celebrate even this week. Philippians 2 says that Jesus, as God, had nothing more to desire for, but he, 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 in his holiness, took that stairway down from heaven to become one of us. And then he humbled himself, humbled himself, and gave himself to the point of death on the cross. If you are not generous, you are not loving scripturally. One of the misunderstandings about giving is that you have to be rich to be generous. You don't have to be rich to be generous. You just have to be loving to be generous. Because love is not selfish. Love is not irritable. Well, there's another one I sometimes have to confess. But we all know people like this too, that when you come into the presence, you kind of feel like you got to do this, take off your shoes and and tiptoe because you're on eggshells. Because you feel like you're going to be the one that the next thing you say is going to cause them to explode. 
that's not okay. And so I've been that person at times in my life where when something like this earlier in my life would happen, I would just say, that's just the way I am. I got a strong personality. Well, some of that's true. But if I act in an unchristlike way, that means that personality is not submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ in the moment. And so there's some, some very clear things here. Now, this word is interesting because it, it literally is kind of the alternative of self-control, another one of the fruit of the Spirit. Am I living with self-control? So am I not easily provoked? So another side of this is if you walk around and, and your feelings get hurt all the time, hello, you might be easily provoked. If you think everybody's out to get you, you might be easily provoked. It's a sharpened sense of touchiness. Maybe you look at yourself as able to win an argument and you pride yourself in your argumentativeness. That's not okay. You're coming across as irritable. Submit that gifting to the Holy Spirit of God. Because love is not irritable. Love is not resentful. Hey, do me a favor. Raise your hand if you've ever been hurt. Somebody said something hurts you or did something hurt you? I think that's everybody. Wow, good job. I'll tell you what you just voted on later. But um, <laughs> it's true, isn't it? We've, we've all had people do things that we say, man, I was rotten. That hurt. And so here's what happens. If we're not careful, we carry that in us. And as we carry that around, we start out like this, but as we go forward, that hurt, that resentment, that bitterness, it begins to weigh us down. My mom, I love her so much. I was a mama's boy growing up, and, and my mom is very special. But I've watched in the last 10 years as major back problems in her life have, have caused her posture to look like this. And, and she has to look up to see forward. And um, it hits me that people that are around her see that she's in pain. And they hate it for her. And, and you know, when you let resentment come into your life and you begin to be crippled over like that, make no mistake, the people around you see it. It may be coming through in some of these other areas. You're irritable or you're touchy or you're angry all the time or you're rude. I don't know, but, but you've held on to that. I told you a story. There was many years ago, I, I made some choices. I, I just hate it. I deeply regret it. It's sinful. And as a result of that, man, I walked through a, a, duff, a tough time and was, was seeking some healing and some help and some hope. But in the midst of that, I had some church people be really unkind to me. Ever had church people be unkind to you? I know that's shocking. It happens. It happens at least once. But I held on to that. And I, I became resentful. And I was sitting on the back seat of a church in a pew um, one night in a men's gathering. And I heard my dear friend teaching men that evening. And he said these words. He said, men, I want you to know that bitterness is the only poison that you drink and you wait for somebody else to die. And I'm just telling you guys, that's changed my life. It changed my life in the instant because I realized it was as if the Holy Spirit of God was speaking to me. I let it go, and I haven't looked back. But let me tell you what else I did. I began to pray, God, give me a short memory of offense. 
And I think he heard most of the prayer because now I've just got a short memory. But anyway, <laughs> but no, I, I really do. I, I, I feel like sometimes I'll have a conversation and, and people around me might be surprised at how I'm acting around someone because they know what has happened, how the offense took place. And I'm just telling you, God's given me the ability to, in the word of that great new song that we sing in church often, let it go, let it go. And maybe God would say to you, you, you need to let this go. It, it's crippling you. Maybe you would pray, God, I, I want to love like you, so give me a, a short memory of offense. Don't be a scorekeeper. You ever meet scorekeepers? I've been watching the March Madness and, and scorekeepers. You know, the referees will go over to that table, and those guys are important. I mean, they're keeping score. They're keeping track of the fouls. Don't be a scorekeeper. Don't be that person that says, well, all right, that's once. You do it again, I'm, I'll let you go. No, don't be that person. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. And you're you can't love like God and ever be happy when another's hurting. Ever heard this? Somebody did something wrong to you or, or you knew that they'd been wrong to other people and, and, and then they fall. I don't know if they go bankrupt or, or something happens and, and you hear people begin to say, well, bless God, they had it coming. Serves them right. Or now people say this, karma. It's foolishness. And, and don't joke about that because that's a false, demonic, evil religion but but don't be that person that is celebrating when someone else hurts love rejoices in the truth one of the principles we teach our kids is is simple it's always right to do right you don't have to think about whether it's right to do right you don't have to debate about whether it's still right to do right because there is truth. And the Bible says all truth is God's truth. And it's always the right thing to hold on to truth. And so then Paul says, love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. The definition is clear. Here's the question. Are you loving God and are you loving others the way he defines love. Not by your standards, but by his standard. And if not, why not? Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Well, if I pursue spiritual things, I, I must constantly remember that love is a priority. 
As I seek to love God and others like Jesus, I've got to know there is a particular way that the Bible describes love, and I want to love in that particular way. But maybe my favorite truth that I draw out of this passage is this third one. As I strive to live out love in my life, I have to remember that really love is a person. See, as I went through that list, I don't know about you, but I I think some of you were thinking like me, "I, I can't do that. I can't do all those. I can't love. You don't, you don't know the people around me. I can't love like that. And guess what? I'm right to feel that way. And you're right to feel that way. You can't, but God in you can. That's why the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So I think in this passage, one of the things Paul is trying to say in this mountaintop of his letter to the church at Corinth, he's trying to remind them that everything that's messed up your life is fixed by love. And love is the embodiment of God. You know how we know that? Because God's word says it. First John 4, 8 reminds us that God is love. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. John 3.16 puts it this way, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. See, I want you to think about all those attributes that I just walked through, and I want you to think about one person. Now, church, I'm about to give you a pop quiz, but I have well prepared you I've told you the answer again and again, week in and week out. And so I expect you to get this right. I believe Paul is speaking of a person when he speaks of this love. What do you think is the name of that person? Yes. 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 It is. I want you to know that when you wonder what love looks like, all you have to do is look to Jesus. And when in your life you don't think you can love others the way you need to, you need to look to Jesus. And when you get to the point where you feel like you're unlovable and you can't be loved, you need to look to Jesus. And and I want to see if if we can just demonstrate that. I want to read back through what love is, but I want to put Jesus in the place of love. And you just tell me if it's applicable. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and Jesus never fails. I think that is true. I really believe that is true. Remember how we said everything minus love equals nothing? But the truth is, there's an inverse to that statement. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And when you begin that relationship with Jesus, and you ask him to start the process of molding you and shaping you into his image, you begin to look like this kind of love, and he enables you to love this way. 
So maybe you're here today and you've never begun that relationship. I just want to make clear, what we talk about here is not about a religion. I don't care whether you're Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Episcopal, Lutheran, Orthodox, Assembly of God, Presbyterian, fill in whatever blank you've got. It's not about ritual. I don't care if you've walked down an aisle a hundred times or raised a hand 50 times or you've been dunked into water three times. It's not about going to church class or first communion or confirmation. This is about a time in your life where you've realized, God, I can't do it on my own. But Jesus, I know you did it for me so that I can do it with you. In just a moment, if you've never taken that step, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make the most important decision you've ever made to once and for all surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says in Romans 5 verse 8 that God demonstrated his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Well, let me speak back to those of us who are Christ followers. Now, I just want to set this up, whether it's a marriage or another family relationship, whether it's in church, whether it's at your workplace or or in school. You ever get tired of loving? You don't have to answer out loud. See, I believe this passage teaches me when I grow weary in loving, I have to remember that love is permanent. That's how Paul ended this. He said, love never ends. It it never fails. And he gives all kinds of illustrations. He says, for example, all these other gifts that you're walking around like a peacock. And last week we learned that simple truth. The peacock of today is the feather duster of tomorrow. And that's what what the apostle Paul is saying. You think you've got all these gifts? They're going to cease. Tongues. Prophecy, all those gifts are going to cease, he said. What's not going to cease is love. And then he went on to describe it in a second way. He said, you know, we, we look at a mirror and we see dimly. He's, he's describing that. We don't think about that today because our mirrors are good. Their mirrors were just tarnished brass, polished brass. And so they really did see a poor reflection. But he said, one day we're going to see Jesus face to face. We want to be ready for that moment. And so then he said the third thing. He said, so I used to be a child. And when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I reasoned like a child. I thought like a child. But now I'm a man. So we're back in that stage of having a little child in our house. It's been a few years. It was really exciting. I mean, there are some things you just do because you're just a child. I mean, my wife has a new exercise routine. I figured out she's just running around the house trying to to get a a moment of quiet or a moment of uh, separation. The the truth is, because as little children, you just never stop. Our little girl loves the sound of her voice. She's always asking questions. She's only wanting to know what next or what happens if this or what till then because she's got a child's mind and there's a part of that that frustrates us, but there's a part of that that's wonderful. But as a parent, I'm not raising children. I'm raising adults. And some of you, <clears throat> for some of you, that's the best thing you've heard today and you need to, you need to begin to apply that. So I was talking to one of my college boys. I got two college boys now. They're not children anymore. They're adults. 
And we were having a sweet conversation yesterday, and, and I just said, hey, things like this, there are moments where even for mom and daddy, it, it may be tough. And sometimes we might tell you, and sometimes we don't. But that's okay, because you're doing what we raised you to do. You're becoming a man. And that's the whole purpose of what we're doing. It's not okay to keep acting like a child when you're a man. So this is the passage where Paul was saying, if you really want to know how important this is, this is where the little girl sits down and the lady stands up. This is where the little the, man, the boy sits down and the man stands up. This is what defines you as one who has the character of God. If you love and look like this. So, so really what some of us need to ask is, are we willing to grow up? And it has nothing to do with how long we've been in church. It has nothing to do with how long we profess Christ. It has everything to do with whether or not our love looks like what God said love is. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.